Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. We're glad you can join us here, and uh, we'd rather be able to see you face-to-face in person, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll take this for the time being, and uh, thanks for tuning in and, and just sharing with us today. We're talking about the good and beautiful life. What is the good life? Have you ever asked yourself that? Who's living the good life? Um, sometimes we compare ourselves to other people and think, well, that, they look like they're doing pretty good. I think they've got the good life. Or, uh, well, look at the vehicles in, in their driveway. They, they're definitely living the good life. Or on Instagram or wherever we're looking. Uh, it can seem like other people are living the good life and, and maybe we're not. I remember driving home from camping one summer and I uh, uh, saw my friend Kevin on the way home and he was in his vehicle. We drove past with our trailer in tow and our kids and all our stuff. And, and uh, uh, I heard later that Kevin had had saw us drive by, coming home from camping, and uh, felt a bit envious and felt like, man, look at Chad. He looks so relaxed right now coming home from the lake. Uh, what he didn't know was about 20 minutes previous at the lake, uh, the battery on the truck died. We had to call for help, get somebody to come and uh, boost us. I think the decibel levels were quite high in the truck at the time he saw me. Uh, and I was probably pretty like on edge uh, with the children and the yelling and, uh, you know, the stress of unpacking and, and all that stuff. He, from his point of view, I was living the good life. From my point of view, it looked a lot quieter, a little bit nicer in his vehicle. So who's living the good life depends a lot on where you're sitting and, and your perspective. Jesus taught uh, his disciples what the good life looks like uh, when he, he taught the Sermon on the Mount. This is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5. And uh, this is the kind of the topic of our, our sermon uh, today. And uh, what is the good life and who's living it? In uh, Matthew chapter 4, um, we read the, the preamble to this Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it goes like this. It says that news about Jesus was spreading all over the area. And people were bringing to him all of these people who were ill with various diseases, suffering severe pain, demon-possessed people, people who are having seizures, paralyzed people. And Jesus was healing them. And there was these large crowds of people who were following him. And uh, it says in, in, in Matthew 4 that when he saw the crowds, he went to a mountaintop and began to teach them. And so the context for the Sermon on the Mount is this large crowd of people who are sick, who had been downtrodden, who were, who were in, a rough, in rough shape, and Jesus was trying to heal them, and he's teaching them about this kingdom of God. And I would imagine that that crowd, the hearers, the original hearers of the Sermon on the Mount, didn't presume to be living the good life. This was the common crowd. This wasn't the, the elite religious folk. This wasn't the elite wealthy folk. This was a crowd of common folks who were needy, who were coming to Jesus for help. Heal me. Help me with this. Help me with that. And Jesus was healing them and, and relieving their suffering. And as we go into the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching them about this kingdom, about this way of God in the world that's now present. And he was demonstrating it through these miracles. And so it's important that we don't read the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus removing himself to a high and lofty place to talk about some spiritual principles that are disconnected from everyday life, from you and from me. But he was in the midst of this crowd, this, the hustle and bustle of real people 
ordinary people who were suffering, who were in distress. And he's teaching them about the good life. And what he told them is that there's blessing in the middle of your life right now. That it's blessed to live the ordinary life that you're living right now. You know, most people who have lived on planet Earth have, have lived this, this same experience that life is sometimes nasty, brutish, and short. Most of the people who have ever lived on planet Earth have lived with disease, with sickness, with poverty. Like our experience today in the West is not the common experience in the world. When you think about where people live in the world today, where the highest density of population is today, and then you think about history, about how the quality of life was, was much harder as we look back into history, that most people lived a short, hard life. Yet Jesus taught that there is blessedness despite life's harsh realities. God's blessing is here now, is what Jesus teaches us in the Beatitudes. That there's blessing even though you mourn and have not much. Uh, there's blessing for those who seek God purely. There's blessing for those who pursue peace and righteousness, for those who are merciful, for those who seek the kind of God life that is available to us right now in Jesus. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, uh, and the two verses we're looking at today are, are verses 4 and 5, and, and they're very short, and they say this. They say, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I'll just pray and we'll continue on with our talk here. God, we thank you for your word that speaks to us now and today. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts even now as we're listening. We thank you, God, that you meet humanity right where we're at. You meet us in the hardness of life, in the suffering of life. And God, you bring your presence close to us and you bring blessing. So Lord, would you help us to see with your eyes? Would you help us to enter into this blessed life that you teach that comes only from you? Help us, we pray in your name. Amen. Blessing in life doesn't come necessarily because of our circumstances. When we read the Beatitudes and we read, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, they're not blessed because they mourn. They're not blessed because they're poor in spirit or because they're meek. But there's, Jesus is teaching us that blessing comes in spite of these realities. Dallas Willard wrote a, an excellent book called The Divine Conspiracy that talks about the kingdom of God life right now. And he says this, he says that those mourning or meek are called blessed by Jesus, not because they've earned it through their condition, but because precisely in spite of and in midst of their ever so deplorable condition, the rule of the heavens has moved redemptively upon and through them by the grace of Christ. Blessing comes in spite of and in the midst of their ever so deplorable condition. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Let's unpack those, those statements a little bit. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. The tradition of lament 
in the Bible is, is largely lost on us in the West today. I don't know that we're very good at, at lament um, in evangelical Western kind of thought. Uh, we typically try to avoid um, thinking about things that are, are bad or sad or hard. Uh, we we want to get past them. We want to help each other get through them. We want to make things better. We, we live in a, a world where um, we're able to do so much for ourselves. We're able to uh, rely on science and, and, and medicine and uh, a high quality of life so that when we do experience suffering, um, we should be able to fix it. We should be able to move past it. We should be able to get on with our lives. And, and so we're not very good at stopping to lament when things are broken. The season of Lent is built into the church calendar just for exactly this reason so that we would stop and intentionally mourn and repent over sin, over the, the brokenness of our world. You know, I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in, in planning uh, a, a specific season to take time to repent and, and to grieve and, and mourn the brokenness of our world. It, it's all around us. And, and in the West, we're largely removed from a lot of the suffering that's in the world. Um, and so, this season that we're in right now leads up to the season of, of Easter and the, and the celebration of Easter where, where Christ comes to, to redeem all and we're reminded that all will, be, all will be made well. But the season of Lent helps us to learn to lament and, and helps us to process death. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those for whom death has come near. How can we say that? that that's such a difficult teaching. How do we process death? Well, again, I don't know that we're great at it here. We don't even like to say that someone has died. We, we say, well, someone has passed on or they're with the Lord or they're in a better place. We don't even like to say that someone's died. But we do need to be faced with our mortality. We do need to, to learn how to process death because death is a part of our current reality. There are those of us who are mourning there are those of us who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And unless we have nurtured the ability to grieve and to lament with one another, we aren't able to enter into one another's grief uh, very helpfully. There's a big difference between sympathy and empathy. Uh, sympathy is when I can see that you're in trouble and I say, oh, that looks hard. I'm sorry you're going through that. And we've all said that. We've all extended sympathies and, and those are good things to do and to say. Um, but it's like if someone had fallen into a hole, sympathy is like poking your head into the hole, looking down at someone in their condition and saying, oh, that looks hard in there. I'm really sorry you're there. And there's, there's a time and a space for that. But empathy is a little different than that. It, it's a bit deeper than that. Empathy is not just looking into the hole that someone is and their suffering and their loss, but it's getting into the hole with them and sitting with them in their pain. And maybe there's no words that are spoken, um, but it's feeling alongside. And it, when sympathy says, I'm sorry you're going through that, empathy says, I feel it too. You know, when Jesus took on our flesh, uh, when he became a human being, when God became human, in the incarnation. This was the greatest act of empathy 
that's ever, ever been. That God would put on our shoes, that God would feel our experience with us. And I think this is where the blessing comes for those of us who mourn. The blessing comes because God knows what it's like to grieve. God knows what it's like to suffer. He's forever become human with us. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, forever has a human being as a one of its members. And when Jesus took on our flesh, he, he took on all of our suffering. He took on all of our pain. He, he experienced it with us. He knows what it's like. He, he empathizes with us in our temptation, in our, in our grief. There's a really powerful story in the book of John where Jesus' close friend Lazarus dies. And uh, Lazarus's sisters, Mary and, and Martha, are, are trying to get Jesus to come and, and, and heal him. And Jesus is, is busy. He's, he's, he's healing other people and he's on his way. And in, an, in the meantime, he's, he's making his way there. Lazarus dies. And uh, we, we see in that text that Jesus was, was planning to raise him back to life. He knew that Lazarus would live again. But even though he knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, there's a very powerful passage in that text that says that Jesus saw how everyone was weeping. He saw Lazarus's family weeping. He saw the crowds weeping. He, he was deeply moved in his spirit. And it says that Jesus wept. Jesus felt the, their pain. Jesus felt the, the, the loss, the deep, raw grief that they were going through. And he wept along with them. You know, when people ask, what do we make of the problem of pain in the world? I think the only really good answer is that God feels it too. He's the God who suffers with. He, he was crucified. He was unjustly accused. He was rejected and abandoned by his closest friends. And, and he knows what it's like to lose and to grieve. Nicholas Wolterstorff is a, is a theologian and academic, and, and a number of years ago, his young adult son was hiking in uh, the mountains in Europe, and he, he fell and was killed in a tragic accident. And, and he's written a, a very helpful book called Lament for a Son. And in it, he, he writes these things. He says this, that the history of our world is the history of our suffering together. Every act of evil extracts a tear from God. Every plunge into anguish extracts a sob from God. But the history of our world is the history of our deliverance together. God's work to release himself from his suffering is his work to deliver the world from its agony. Our struggle for joy and justice is our struggle to relieve God's sorrow. When God's cup of suffering is full, our world's redemption is fulfilled. Until justice and peace embrace, God's dance of joy is delayed. God suffers with the creation he made. He's not distant. He's not um, somehow vacant when we go through pain. But Jesus could say, blessed are the mourning, for they will be comforted because God feels all of our pain and he's near. There's blessing when we are grieved. The second part of Jesus' teaching here is, blessed are the meek. 
you know, meekness is oftentimes described as sort of like a virtuous um, personality trait, like gentleness or, or, or kind of quiet um, introspection. But the Aramaic word uh, used here probably denotes something more like uh, the meek are those who, who just can't fight back. Uh, they don't have the means to fight back. Um, we can think of people who, who are um, grossly mismatched in a fight or um, just ill-equipped to do something to help themselves, to get themselves out of their predicament. And, and this would have been part of the crowd that Jesus was speaking to is reality. The poor commoners, um, they, they, they lived in a very strict religious system that, you know, when we hear about the Pharisees, they would tie up heavy burdens and place them on their backs. Um, they lived under Roman occupation. They were wealthy landowners um, that they probably were working for. And often these disempowered people um, were, were suffering oppression and injustice. And, and Jesus is saying to them, I see you. I see you. I, I know who you are. I know that you are in a position that you can't really help yourself out of. You know, I think we look at people sometimes and say, well, they should pick, them up, pick themselves up by their bootstraps and make themselves, help themselves get ahead. And, and we have to realize that not everyone has the same deck of cards in life, that not everyone's playing with the same hand, that there are realities far beyond our understanding of why someone might be in the situation that they're in. And, and Jesus sees those people and he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And, and it's like he's talking about land, like being a landowner. They will inherit the earth. And often these kind of commoners would be working for a landowner. Um, their, their children would work for that landowner, their children's children. And they were living a life of, of service to others where they probably wouldn't get out of debt or wouldn't get any of their own property or capital to make their way ahead in life. And uh, Jesus is saying, I, I see you. I see you there. Uh, the promise for you is that you will inherit the whole earth. That in this kingdom, the whole earth belongs to God. The whole earth is the Lord's and he gives it to those who have been unjustly deprived. Where the system of, of life and the world are working against you. Take heart because uh, you have hope that I will bless you with more than you're experiencing now. That one day you will inherit land. You will inherit the earth. And I think this is an eschatological hope for deliverance, for uh, a better day. So Jesus points out two realities, that there's blessing for those who suffer pain, and there's blessing for those who suffer injustice. Jesus himself uh, experienced suffering and injustice, and he says, there's blessing for you, because I know what that's like, and I'm with you in it. I, I, I'm not standing from a distance. You're not forgotten. You know, I think this crowd of people might have asked themselves, you know, are we cursed? Are, are we alone and forgotten in the world? Are, are our lives expendable? And Jesus spoke a word to them saying, no, you're not. I'm with you. You know, even if we find ourselves in a, in a position in life where we have all that we need, um, life is going well for us. There's a word here for us too, that we uh, in our sinful humanity are, are often oppressed by our sinful nature. You know, the Apostle Paul says, 
uh, we have this nature within us where we say, I don't know why I do the things that I do. That We, we are enslaved to sin. We are in, oppressed by it. We don't know how to get ourselves out of it. We can't work our way out of it. And, and Jesus says to us, uh, you can be free. That uh, you can be free from the power of, of sin and the power of death in me. And we enter into this blessing of freedom from the oppression of, of sin, from the oppression of our sinful nature by, by entering into a, a relationship of faith with Christ, by believing in, in him who he is. That we used to be slaves to sin, but now through the gift of God, we have e- eternal life in Jesus. This is good news for those of us who, are, who, who have enough financial resources. We don't, we're not oppressed by injustice in the world systems, but yet we find ourselves oppressed by sin, by our own brokenness. There's blessing in Jesus. There's freedom. The gift of God is eternal life. There's a richness of eternal life in Christ for us today in, in, in a relationship with him. So there's blessedness in this life. Jesus himself is the blessing. He's the bread of life. When we come to Jesus, we have fullness. And so if you find yourself in grief and in mourning today, the word of God to you is, there is blessedness because there is comfort in Christ who is present with you in your suffering. That he gave himself up freely to enter into your suffering and he continues to suffer with you. And he's provided you with the church, with a community of people who enter into it with you. For those who suffer injustice, Jesus is is there. And we who are called um, to belong to Jesus are called to stand with those who suffer injustice and those who suffer the pain of death and loss. And this is our calling to be agents of blessing in the world, agents of healing, agents of life. As we come alongside one another, as we bear one another's burdens, we experience comfort. We experience the joy of being comforted and we pass it on to one another. And this is, this is the life of God in us and through us, in the church and in the world, that we can call ourselves blessed even though our circumstances look grim, even, even though we've, we've had loss and, and pain and death, that there's life in the, the here and now and hope for tomorrow. So I just want to pray for us all as, as we contemplate this, these words of blessing and uh, consider how we can enter into this blessed life, this good life, even more fully. Jesus, we thank you that you are with us in our pain and you see us in every season of our lives. We thank you that you know when we're wronged. And Lord, we pray that our comfort in you would extend to being comfort to one another that our freedom in you would extend to being agents of freedom for others, that we would not heap up burdens that place on people's backs, but we would be a people of liberation, that we would be a people of justice and truth and righteousness and comfort for those who mourn, those who are oppressed. Lord, your world needs justice and your world needs comfort. So let us be those people that are a preserving agent in the world that make the world a bit more like heaven in our coming and our going and our relationships. So we ask you to do this in us, we pray, God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Let's continue to worship with another song. 
I remember distinctly a time in my life where I was asking myself, what is the good life? And it was in high school. I had just moved to a new town and I was a, it was a very difficult season of life. Um, there was a lot of heartache going on in my family at the time and just a hard time for, for a lot of us. And I remember that season of life being a time where I really felt God coming near to me. I really experienced God in, in, in my grief, in my pain, in my, my questioning. And, and I, I remember feeling like I had two choices in life. And, and one was, well, will I look for the good life? Kind of where it seems like everyone else is looking for the good life. Everyone else in high school seemed to be doing a lot of drinking on the weekend and, and a lot of partying, a lot of um, just goofing around. And, and I had tasted a bit of that. I had been to some of the parties. I'd been to some of the weekends and, and kind of went, yeah, that's fun, but it felt really hollow. Or would I look for the good life in the richness that I experienced through um, my church, um, through my, my family who loved Jesus, and that way of life that they were living? Not, not some rules or not some strict structures, but the way that they they loved and 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 passed on the love of God to one another and and I, I was barely it was really clear in my mind that I, I'm not gonna find what I need in these parties. I'm not gonna find comfort for my soul. I'm not gonna find life here. This is really where the the rich feast is gonna be. It's the good life to to know God and and to love God and and be loved by God, and to be a part of a community that is all about that love. And so today, I just want to encourage you that if you're questioning where the good life is, if it's out there somewhere, somebody that you're missing out on, or whether it's really in God, it, it really is in God, in His love, in, in His life, and, and the community of people who love Him and live in him. So stay connected to Jesus. Reach out to him. He loves you. Uh, have a good week. We'll see you soon. The benediction for today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God bless.